this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Unsympathetic intellects slowly and surely drew their plans against us. It is Foreign Invader with Conrado Falco III. Hello and welcome to Foreign Invader. I am Conrado Falco III and this is the show about the pop culture that is corrupting American life. Every episode we talk about one piece of culture that originated in not the United States of America and talk about its impact on this precious country of ours. Last week I geeked out about something that was a big part of my childhood. I want to thank A.B. Seidel again for coming on the show and talking about The Lord of the Rings. Um, You can check that episode out if you haven't yet. We had a great conversation, but today... We are doing something a little different. We are talking about something that I have very little experience with. One Piece is, by most metrics, the most successful manga and anime series of all time. And also probably the longest running. It has basically run uninterrupted in manga form since 1997 and in anime form since 1999. And has gained a lot of fans in the process. So in order to talk about this series, which I know very little about, I have brought a One Piece mega fan. You might recognize him for playing Salman in the hit web series Wormholes, available on Instagram TV and YouTube at wormholes.tv. You might even recognize him for being one of the hosts of Pod Queens, available wherever you get your podcasts. It's the one and only... Well, actually, not the one and only. We're not talking to Dr. Gamal Elsawab. We have... With us, Gamal Elsawa Jr. Welcome hey, to the show. That's me. I'm a junior, not a sophomore, not a senior. Mm-hmm. So I like to start by asking the guests about where they're from. Um, Gamal, where did you grow up and what was your upbringing like? Sure thing. Uh, I grew up in Queens, New York. So I'm a native, native New Yorker. Wendy Williams would love that. Uh, to a American mother, white American mother, and an Egyptian immigrant father. Mm-hmm. And I spent most of my life living with my mom's side of the family. Uh, my parents got divorced pretty early on, so uh-huh. I'd go back and forth between parents and cultures. So from what you've told me, you grew up where in Queens? Ridgewood, specifically, Ridgewood, but no one knows where that is. Well, but from what you've told me... Uh, Richwood sounds like a real gabagool type of place. Is that <laughs> true? Uh, there are some. There are a, a great deal of Italian people in Ridgewood. Uh, yeah, my mother's Italian American. Actually, though, Ridgewood specifically, uh, fun fact, mostly Polish. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, more, more so Italians in like Middle Village or Maspeth, which are the neighboring, neighboring neighborhoods. And what was it like growing up in Richwood? And, and do you feel like it has a particular kind of spirit in comparison to the New York or Queens spirit? Well, that's a good question. Um, well, the Ridgewood I grew up in is really different than the Ridgewood now. I'm only 26 years old. But uh, in, I would say in 26 short years, um, lots of things have changed. Um, so Ridgewood, from the Ridgewood I remember is one that's very boring, actually. Okay. Um, one that's, like, far removed from all the cool things that make New York City New York. Um, very small town in the big city. And some of the neighboring towns, like I just mentioned, Middle Village and Maspeth, everyone go visit Queens, I guess, um, uh, really exemplify that, that small town in the big city vibe. And Ridgewood hmm. has taken it on. However, uh, on the other side of Ridgewood, you got Bushwick and then Williamsburg. So oh, actually a lot hip of places. Yeah, the really hip places, the gentrification <laughs> of it all. A lot of a lot of the um the hipsters and the gentrifiers from Williamsburg over the years have been slowly moving, branching out th- first to Bushwick and actually now recently more so to Ridgewood, so much so that people I know who are like cool, I guess, or who you would never think you think they'd live in like Brooklyn somewhere or whatever. They're like, oh, we're all moving to Ridgewood. Mm. We're living in Ridgewood, which is crazy to me. <laughs> but they're like, apparently, I, 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 sometimes when I go back, I mean, there's a pandemic, so. But before when I used to go back, there's like coffee shops there that are open, like organic shit. It's a little different. <laughs> it's a little different. So when the gentrification cycle is completed, yeah. what is the thing you're going to miss the most of old Ridgewood? <laughs> Ironically enough, the silence of it all, actually, was pretty quiet. <laughs> I hated it when I was a child because I was bored all the time, but now it's just going to not be there anymore. I see. 
could go without the racism though although um as far as the area goes ridgewood's not the worst what would you say was the most american thing about your childhood i grew up with white with white my white mother um that was pretty american um <laughs> you know uh i went to a catholic school that was pretty american is it you think that's pretty american i don't know actually it is very I mean, well it depends this is a philosophical question um there is this idea i think in america i'm on my soapbox that that america is like a christian nation and mm. uh, america um does everything according to christian values so on some level i do think it is an american thing christianity catholicism specifically um although apparently up until recently there have been very few catholic presidents right but you, christian presidents for sure christian never, for sure and never not a christian president right yeah yeah because i <laughs> i grew up in a in a country that is almost 100% catholic in terms yeah. of the census you know like there's people who don't practice it but it's like the catholic influence in peru south america is so strong like everyone's a catholic it's those crusades i didn't know what a what a like a protestant or like a non-catholic christian was until i was like pretty old and i went to a german school where some people were not catholic and i didn't know until oh, really? i was like 13 or so you know where the first place i heard of protestantism was the simpsons your favorite it is my favorite they're um, all protestants or was there well right? i feel like most americans are are they really I think so. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm I'm skewed. I'm my my corner in New York. I think everyone is Catholic. Yeah, but you have an Egyptian father that Who's, you said, Doctor Gamal Doctor Gamal senior. senior, and your mother you said is Italian American. Now mm. we all are kind of familiar with the ways that Italian American culture has influenced America. But sure. like, is there anything from Egyptian culture that you feel has influenced America that we might not know about? <laughs> um, in a good way. Yeah, oh sure, or in a bad way. I don't know, it's up um, I to mean, you. I mean, you know, I think there are a lot of um, racist Americans who would say, who have their opinions about Middle Eastern people, for sure. Um, but although I, I do think there's a lot of things, I mean, obviously our, our number system, Arabic numerals, have you heard of them? One, two, yeah. three, four, five. Of course, um, of course. A, lo a lot of people don't know that, I think, that our numbers that we use are called the Arabic numbers yeah it's fun if you because uh, I, I i do know how to read the arabic characters but i don't really speak very good arabic um but if you look at the numbers because they have their own symbols some of them are different but a lot of them look exactly like what we know as, as numbers, numbers. Yeah. so are, so they're a little different when they're yeah like the number five looks different seven and eight look actually seven looks pretty similar but eight looks different nine looks exactly the same interesting interesting um i mean it makes sense because it's so much more practical than Roman numerals. Like, can you imagine doing math with Roman numerals? Mama. It would be, it would be impossible. Julius Caesar? Not for me. Julius Caesar. Speaking of Julius Caesar. Yeah. So what do you think is the greatest contribution Italian Americans have given to this country? And is it Rudy Giuliani? <laughs> uh, no, no. I actually don't think Italian Americans offer much to this country, to be quite honest. <laughs> I'm coming out of being a uh, racist towards Italian Americans. No. Um, food, pasta is great. Pasta is great. Pizza. Pizza is awesome. loves pizza. Everybody loves pizza. New York pizza, which yeah. is a big deal. It is a big for deal. For people. How do you feel about New York pizza? I uh, New York pizza pizza is important to New Yorkers, I think. I don't think you need to be Italian. To appreciate a good New York pizza, you just have to be a New Yorker. Um, and if you, I challenge everyone who lives in New York to, uh, if they doubt it, go to Pennsylvania or something and order a slice, and you'll immediately get it. <laughs> um, New York pizza is just there's something something better about it. I don't know why. It's the water they say. That's what they say. They everyone say it's says the it's the water. I am not a New Yorker from birth. Yeah, yeah. So. Where are you from? <laughs> <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't have this attachment to the New York pizza that other people have. I have a question for you, important question. If you had to die for one of them, which one would it be? New York pizza or New York bagels? Oh, oh gosh. You know, I think, and maybe it's just because I haven't been out of, of New York and had bagels. I think bagels are harder to fuck up than pizza. So I would, mm. I would go for pizza, even though as I age... I've developed an acid reflux disorder that, that <laughs> makes it so I can't really eat uh, pizza very often. You get a white that's pie. From, that's from my dad. Thank you, dad. <laughs> you maybe it. I just haven't had. A, uh, maybe I just haven't been to an out-of-state bagel shop, and I don't know. 
the horror. I've been in Dunkin' Donuts. They make us horror, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think yeah, maybe some people are going to start dragging you for it. Someone once told me that the best bagel they ever had was in Boston. I don't I've know. never been to Boston. I've, so. I've been to Boston, but I didn't have a bagel. So, But I want to go back and try it out, see if it's any credence to that. I want to have the Montreal bagels. What's that? They're like apparently different. They're like thinner with a bigger hole in the middle. Okay. They're, they're, they're made a different way. I don't know why. But I recently found out about them through a Saturday Night Live sketch <laughs> um, that Montreal bagels are different than like New York bagels, which are different from... I think another regional bagel. The New York pizza is very different from pizza in Italy. I'd imagine. Yeah, I actually don't quite know what pizza in Italy is like. I've never been. I've never been to Italy. Mm-hmm. I've been to Egypt when I was a baby. Don't remember it. Don't remember it. So I'm just an uh, American bastard. Yeah. Well, you're an all-American boy. That's what we, we have boy. here in this show. We talk about Japanese culture. <laughs> yeah, here we go. <laughs> When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring. Let's get into One Piece. Sure. What is it? One Piece. Well, it's a manga, which is a name for a, a weekly Japanese comic. Well, not always weekly, but a Japanese comics, usually in black and white. It is a manga series about pirates, about a specific boy named Monkey D. Luffy, mm-hmm. who is 17 years old and sets out to sea to find the treasure of the dead Gold Roger, who was named the King of the Pirates. Uh-huh. Uh, and the name of the treasure is the One Piece? It's the One Piece. Yeah. It's the name of the treasure. That has been my biggest question about One Piece. Because you've talked about One Piece a lot to me. And I've, and I've always wondered, why is it called One Piece? I yeah. don't get it. And, and if it's called One Piece, why has it been going on for so long? Surely. Can't they just find this One Piece? Oh my god. Yeah, so he's, he sets out to find the One Piece and gather a crew and become the king of the pirates. And find the, 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 the big treasure. And what's the name of the of the person who created this? Eichiro Oda. Oda, that's right. Mm-hmm. And it is a manga, but it's also a, a TV series, an anime. Yes. And uh, I think most people know what that is at this point. An anime is like an animated TV show from Japan. Yeah. Um, feels to me, I'm not an expert, that most anime is based on manga. At least TV series, a right? A lot, yeah. Um, because the ones that I'm familiar with... Um, well, I guess Pokemon is not, huh? No, based on a video game series, but there is a Pokemon manga. I think the anime came first. Yeah, I think so too. But yeah, but yeah. I was gonna say like Dragon Ball Z and that kind of thing. Yeah, Dragon Ball Z based on a manga by Akira Toriyama. Yeah, we're gonna maybe talk a little bit about that. But mm. just tell me, how does an all American boy like yourself find a Japanese manga that at that point had probably been running for I don't know maybe ten years or so? <laughs> you you just uh, tsunami tsunami on Cartoon Network. Did you know that? Uh, I know it by reputation. Okay, cool. Did they, did they Latin American food? Cartoon Network did not have Toonami, I don't think. Okay. They might have had another blog with another name. So Toonami was this like um, this block of um, cartoons on Cartoon Network. They were usually... They were not always anime, but they were usually anime. They were, they were like action shows, basically. Um, so that's where they, they aired a lot of Dragon Ball Z. They had a lot, aired... Um, Sailor Moon for a time, which I was also obsessed with as a child. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and they aired Naruto and they aired One Piece. Um, uh-huh. And I don't know if I started watching it on Toonami or if I started watching it on the Saturday morning cartoon block that it was on, but I did roughly do the math and I started watching One Piece. I started with the anime uh, around the year 2005 or 2006. So, oh, I, okay. so, so we're like more than half my life ago. <laughs> uh, so you started watching the TV show and then you got into the manga later. Yeah, yeah. I started watching the TV show. There was this um, uh, infamously horrendous um, English dub oh. by 4Kids Entertainment, which were the people who did Pokemon. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the things they did, they didn't really get One Piece. Um, actually, <laughs> apparently, it was revealed later that they got it as part of a package deal and they didn't really want it, but they uh. wanted some other show. And Toye Animation... The Japanese studio that uh, right. creates One Piece and also Dragon Ball Z packaged a package, a, a package deal. deal so they could sell One Piece. Uh, and they were hoping that because Four Kids oh. made such a success with Pokemon and to a lesser extent Yu-Gi-Oh! That right. they would turn One Piece into a success. Um, what ended and up happening? 
No, no. Okay. Because what ended up happening was when they got One Piece, they didn't realize, um, I guess, for their demographic, which was a little younger, um, how inappropriate some of the parts of One Piece could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very bloody show, which yeah. you wouldn't expect. I would uh, not expect from looking at some of the artwork that is like put forward. It's like this kid with a straw hat and in a little pirate ship. I, I was not... Yeah, on the surface, it's, it's, it's a very cartoony, cartoony, optimistic-looking show and i think that's one of its great strengths but there are there's a lot of like things that end up having to be edited out for their intended audience what ended up happening though is that kind of like ruined the show among other things they changed a lot of uh plot lines they gave people weird funny voices for no reason so they tried to like make it more appealing to a younger audience is what you think yeah they tried to make it more appealing to a younger audience i mean some or to an american audience perhaps perhaps to a younger american audience i mean you know one of the things like i said four kids did pokemon one of the things they loved doing was changing rice balls into donuts for some reason in one piece in Pokemon. Pokemon. Oh, I didn't watch the American dub oh, really? Pokemon because it was in Spanish. Oh yeah. When when I was growing up. So yeah, that they sometimes they uh, they had like rice balls and Brock would say like, look at these donuts, but they would look like rice balls, and I'd be like, I don't know any donuts that look like that. It's like, okay. <laughs> and then as they went on, they digitally altered like the, the the rice balls and they changed them to, to look like, like donuts. Sometimes sandwiches, sometimes donuts. So there's this one scene... Bagels, maybe? Uh, bagels, even. <laughs> I don't know how far you got in One Piece, but um, it's early on in the, in the anime where, um, you know, Kobe, Kobe and Helmeppo, when they're trying to save Zoro. Okay. From, um, it's in like episode two or three, um, Helmeppo holds a gun to Kobe's head. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Fork is edited out to like some weird hammer contraption. Oh, I see. Okay. So so that, I was exposed to One Piece first through this horrendous Fork is but I loved it anyway because there was something in the story that spoke to me for some reason mm-hmm. and then later on um four kids dropped one piece and another company funimation the american company that dubbed dragon ball z took over one piece and redubbed uh, the entire series and and now is the current that's what's on, on netflix now there what it is I on netflix, yeah. okay did you watch it in the english dub only some of them because mm. i wanted to take notes during some of them so i didn't want to miss it gotcha. but i also watched some in japanese i think it's a great i found funimation does a great job with their english dub so as far as I can tell from my memory and yeah. from any research that I've done, they never showed One Piece when I was a kid on television. Really? So I had only known it from seeing little pictures of it, like either online or in magazines. Mm. They did show a lot of other anime in, in Peru. And I think even they showed Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball, I think, earlier than they did in America. Mm. Um, and I uh, was obsessed with it. With Dragon Ball? Yeah, with oh, Dragon cool. Ball and with Dragon Ball Z. Um the first anime I remember seeing was something that I don't know if they ever aired it here, but it's called, in the Spanish translation, it's called The Knights of the Zodiac. And I think in English it's called Saint Seiya or something like that, which was this, actually you might like this, this was these like warrior types, but they had to get these armors in order to, to fight. And like the big saga that I remember was that they had to go through th- these like different houses to fight a different knight and each knight was a different sign of the zodiac so they okay. had like an armor like so the main kid originally had the pegasus armor which is not mm. from the zodiac right it's just like a mythological animals but then when he beats sagittarius he gets his armor which is you are a sagittarius, sagittarius. and then at the end the last uh, battle is against gemini oh, that uh, bitch. which is me <laughs> um so i think uh this is something that you might want to check into um, wow what did you call it saint saint Seiya? i think that's what it's called in saint english saint. that's what wikipedia told me saint Seiya walked so that marin altman on tiktok could run yeah exactly <laughs> Um, anyway, but that is the first I remember seeing. I remember very little of it because I was really, really young. Mm. But then Dragon Ball Z, I was absolutely obsessed. And my question to you is, what do you think was the appeal of those kind of anime shows with boys? Because I feel like it was real. And I don't know if it was just because it was there and it was airing. I think, you know, because uh, you did give me some of these questions in advance. I was thinking about, like, why... Well, specifically, I could talk about in America, why I think... Um, these like shonen type anime did really well in America is because I think you know there was a not much action cartoons for kids. I mean, I just said all these things about like four kids, what they did to One Piece. I mean, they butchered it to death, mm-hmm. um, to censor and stuff. But like 
kids, sometimes little boys, but not always, find those things cool. <laughs> like, and there were not many act, like really good American action shows. And I feel like most of the time, hmm. American cartoons, even if they were kind of like action-based, dumbed down their action in a way that kind of sanitized it. And I think that's why a lot of kids gravitated towards towards anime more so because that's where you saw like the fighting and like uh-huh. the, the battles and the cool the, the cool dudes the only show that an american show that i really think did that well is um the shows in the dc animated universe like batman the animated series mm-hmm. batman beyond justice league which i also loved i was gonna bring that up um i was gonna say that blood was huge i feel at least for me mm-hmm. watching dragon ball c was like that the characters were bleeding yeah i don't think you saw ev- that ever in american animation and i'm also a little surprised that they just let it go through yeah. uh, when they came. Um, but yes, I was going to say, because the biggest action show that I can compare in trying to be a little bit more mature is Batman, the animated series, and that kind of thing. But even they rarely showed blood. and whenever No, they, no blood, but I'm just they, thinking... Um, through a punch, they always inserted a flash, so there was never, you never actually saw, saw the any punch. contact. Oh, interesting. I Fun never trick. noticed it. Fun trick. And oh. they actually, four kids did that. They inserted flashes into One Piece whenever. Oh, they whenever they. Oh. That was one of their edits. So that must be like an American thing. I don't know why. Yeah, I think there were specific regulations about yeah, that weird. kind of. That's why you couldn't usually in the eighties and nineties you couldn't have like guns. Yeah. They had to be like laser guns. Yeah. And that's why in the X Men all the enemies have laser guns instead of actual guns. But Batman had actual guns. Yeah. And that was a big deal when they did that. My suspicion also of what is interesting or what interested me is I think the serialization of the stories compared to the other shows. Yeah. Because thinking of the um, action shows around that time, Power Rangers, Pokemon, incredibly, um, what do you call that? Formulaic. Episodic and formulaic. The formula is the same. In Pokemon and Power Rangers, every single episode is the fucking same. Right, you know what's going to happen. You know what you're going to happen. You know exactly what it's going to happen. And it's always the same action beats. Yeah. Um... And then Batman it was very good, but it's also very episodic. Yeah. Um, X-Men and Spider-Man animated series, I remember having more of, of arcs every now and then. And I really mm-hmm. loved that. And I think that's what I really loved about Dragon Ball Z mm-hmm. when it came on, that it was a story that continued. Um, do you think there's something to it? Yeah, I think that's really, really interesting as well. I mean, it, it, there's something I think of, of about that that also seems a little more mature. I think kids are dying to feel mature. Like they want violence, <laughs> they want action, and they they want to be respected. That the idea that they could uh, understand sprawling stories that continued week to week. Yeah, I think that's very true about the kids wanting to feel older than they are. I heard this somewhere. They were talking about magazines, like fashion magazines, See and how kind of like in the magazines. Uh-huh. Um, how. You know, Seventeen magazine is not for 17-year-olds. It's for girls who are younger than 17. Oh, interesting. And when you get to 17, you're going to read, like, something older, like Cosmo or something. And it's kind of like that. Oh, interesting. You know, like, the title seems like it's targeted to an age group, but actually they know that the people reading it are going to be younger than that. Interesting. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, it's some of that with um, cartoons as well, I think. You know, I don't know how young I was when I like started watching like South Park or something, you know. And it oh, was yeah. exciting to see something that you weren't supposed to be watching. You've been telling me to watch and read One Piece, I think, almost since I met you. Yes, uh, however many years ago, six yeah. or seven years ago. I read a couple chapters and I watched a couple episodes in preparation for this. Oh, great. And I have thoughts, but I also think that that's a very small sample for a story that's like a thousand chapters long. It sure is. Chapter 1002 comes out uh, this Sunday. I won't record 1002. Wow, yeah. incredible. So this is your opportunity to convince me. What, what do you love so much about One Piece? Uh, well, you know... It's just good. I, which <laughs> is such a strange thing to say. I do believe it's just the great story. I think Ichiro Oda is a fantastic storyteller. And one of the things about One Piece that I think stands out from other shonen, other comics, other pieces of storytelling is its consistency. You know, One Piece has been going on for over 20 years now. I think in like a year or two, it'll be the 25th anniversary of the manga, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, but in that time, it's it's never 
it's never dipped in quality. In fact, you know, some of the recent storylines are some of the best in the series history. Um, mm-hmm. And that's crazy to, to have something go on for, you know, over 20 years and still be good. It's wild. It's almost never done. I mean, everyone talks about like The Simpsons should have been canceled after whatever season. Yeah. And like X show should have ended by this because then it dipped in quality. And these shows are like 10 years old, maybe. Do you think it's something of like the biggest hurdle of entrance for me is, of course, how long it is sure. because it's a huge commitment. But also knowing how long it is, I feel like it has to like almost weirdly knock me over from the start so that I uh, feel like, okay, I'm going to commit for this. You know, like I'm keep on waiting for like, okay, okay, okay. Like when is it going to like absolutely knock me on my feet so that I know that it's worth committing all these hours to? Is, uh, is it not, is it a different kind of watch than that? I don't know. I mean, I, I do think, you know, there's a couple of things. I think, well, first of all, when I started watching One Piece, I didn't know it was going to be as long as it is. I think mm-hmm. now, especially after like 20 odd years, It, it has a reputation that I didn't experience because I, I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. And by that time, it was significantly short. I mean, 2005, it was only 10 years old. It was less than 10 years old. Yeah. Um, so it, Only it, 10 years old. It was less than only 10 years old, <laughs> right. And I sent you a clip this morning. I was like, here's a good example of like early One Piece. But that was like from... Chapter 86. Chapter like, no, it wasn't. No? I, it was from like episode 86. You, episode maybe. 86. Okay. Uh, that's what YouTube told me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm like, this is early One Piece within the first hundred <laughs> episodes. Um, I, I didn't know that. So uh, my experience is very different, I think. Um, in, in, I wasn't like, all right, prove to me why this should be going on so long. Or like, hook me. Um, mm. I think One Piece, I think one of its strengths actually for me is it's humble beginnings not because not uh, people use that but i mean i think the way it was began like the beginning of the story is a very it was done in a very humble way that doesn't show you what it's going to become and even i went back to watch some of the early episodes so i mm-hmm. could remember um what, what you were maybe seeing um and it shocked me how different the beginning of one piece is from where one piece becomes like 50 episodes from then or 100 mm-hmm. episodes from then or like you know 300 episodes from then it is a very it, it begins very softly in my opinion it begins very quietly hmm. it begins very uh and all the details that i now know of the world and that's one of the strengths that i do want to talk about is the world building of one piece the thing that everyone talks about is the world building i don't know if he just didn't That's a lie. He knew. I, I think uh, the, the author has revealed himself to be a genius over the years <laughs> okay. because of the things he plants in his show that you can't plant unless you know that in 500 chapters this is going to be relevant someday. He, he, he keeps his cards close to the chest and doesn't reveal everything all at once, which I think could be a real turnoff for people. It's like an overload of information. So it begins mm-hmm. in this really like slow, almost pastoral way uh, where... Luffy sets out, he meets one person, he helps them out, he meets another person, he frees Rorano Azoro, who's the mm-hmm. pirate hunter, he recruits him, he goes to another town, he meets somebody, and he helps people, and then occasionally, and eventually, he gets he gets his boat, and he, he gets the chance to go from the, the East Blue, which is where he is, to this sprawling sea in the center of the world, the Grand Line, which is where all the pirates are which is where the One Piece is supposed to be. So mm-hmm. he enters the Grand Line in chapter like 101. The first 100 chapters being the prologue of the entire series, which is how Oda <laughs> refers to okay. the East Blue Saga. And I think it's really interesting. It doesn't really start with a bang. It starts with kind of like a sizzle, like a warm-up, yeah. um, which can be, um, I think, off-putting to some people who, especially now with its length. But I do think that one of the important things that One Piece does in its themes, uh, which sounds cheesy because it's been referenced so often and made fun of, uh, it's not the destination, it's the journey. Mm. Um, and I think that's what anyone who's interested at all in getting into One Piece, I would say don't, don't bother trying to catch up. Like catching up should not be your goal. Uh, I think experiencing it should be your goal mm-hmm. and having fun with it. And um seeing where it goes because it goes to some pretty great places so if you've started watching one piece yeah when is the point when you say like okay if you've watched this many episodes and you're still not having fun maybe you shouldn't keep watching is it like a hundred episodes not that many um everyone has their own opinions Uh um i think that in 
actual early One Piece. So I said chapter 100 is where they go to the Grand Lines, the end of the prologue. Mm-hmm. In the anime, that's about chapter, uh, sorry, it's about episode 52 or 53 when they oh, do that. okay. So, uh, and they're 20-minute episodes. Um, I believe that in my childhood mind, I was really thrilled um, around episode 34 of One Piece in the okay. anime, which is a, a roughly... Uh, the some people call it the climactic moment of the East Blue Saga. The first 100 chapters, the first 53 episodes being the East Blue Saga, the time when mm. Luffy is in the East Blue and he's gathering up his crew. There's uh, this moment around episode 35 or something where, where shit hits the fan. Uh, everything goes wrong. So Oda sets up this pattern where Luffy goes to some place, he meets someone, uh-huh. he helps them, uh-huh. and he gets a new crew member. And he goes on to the next island and does it. And there's this one moment where he goes to this one place with the intention of getting a chef, Sanji. Um, and then some a villain comes, but then other things happen that aren't part of the formula all of a sudden. And, like, and a lot of questions being asked. And suddenly that was thrilling to me. Uh, so that's what I would say it gets really interesting then. Um, but most people would say it gets really great a, a little bit after that. Um, uh, the arc directly following that, uh, which is called the Arlong Park arc does the show keep changing as it goes along like like you know that's kind of the sense that maybe i'm getting from what you're saying i don't think it changes but i think it expands it expands uh, i think it expands i think it, it well definitely like any like any show or any comic or anything um it does find itself it has to find itself early on um mm-hmm. so there's that sense of it finding itself um and i do think though one piece finds itself around the moment i said um and then each uh, following story it just expands and becomes more of that and more of itself okay um, yeah yeah and, and how will you describe that that self that's a good question itself is sprawling big emotional but also philosophical mm-hmm. in a weird way it doesn't become clear until a lot not a lot later but later on that one piece has a lot to say about obviously dreams which is like a big shonen thing um but like dreams and friendship of course you mean dreams like 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 aspirations aspirations not like actual no no no. like a person's aspirations in life um gotcha their goals and friendship which are big things in shonen Mm -hmm. but also like justice okay in the world um and what is right and what is wrong who holds the power who doesn't which is not something you'd expect going forward, seeing the first episode or so, that this is going to be a, a, a big musing about the rights of justice and who has power and who makes up what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, definitely not the, my first impression. Um, the first couple episodes, like you said, they feel kind of like the, this um, kind of pirate adventure, right? Like this kid going from an island to another, getting new friends and trying to find this treasure. And it um, is that. It is an adventure series. I think... If you're not into adventure series, then you won't like it. I mean, the general thing you can expect when you get into One Piece is it's kind of what the East Blue Saga sets up. Luffy will go from one island to the next, and he will meet the inhabitants of those islands, and usually there'll be an obstacle in his way or someone who is terrorizing people on that island, and he will fight them and he will save them. Mm -hmm. That is the, the general thing of what happens. And of course, like I said, that expands... And it becomes bigger, and it's done on grander scales and in different ways. But that's the that's the general formula, I would say, of One Piece when you're getting into it. And of course, right. it won't be by the end of the episode. It might be by the end of an arc, which could take however many episodes. Right. So that's what I was going to ask. Because at the beginning, it seems to be one episode, one island, almost. Not really, but a couple episodes. Mm-hmm. But as it goes along, I assume they spend more time in each island. Oh, yeah. And it's like... I guess this is where we talk about the world building. Because yeah. it is a good... Um, format to have this idea of traveling and going from one island to another because it allows you as an author to make each island whatever you want it to be and that's one of the things that i really responded to about dragon ball z is that it the dude just came up with whatever he wanted and he you know like one one saga was aliens and then the next one there were clones and then there were androids and there were demons and it was whatever happened upon his head he was just introduced Sometimes kind of clumsily, I will say, looking back. Mm-hmm. But this seems like it's a great format for that. Yeah, it's very much that on steroids, I think. <laughs> um, so much so that each each island, even though they're neighboring, uh, can have completely different um, standards of government, uh, cultures, and even climates from one island to the next. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, one of the great things about Ichiroda is how he he doesn't just like 
throw him out and say, yeah, whatever. He, he provides an explanation in his in-world logic as to why the world might act like this. So let's get into the themes and yeah. then maybe the politics of it all. Sure. Um, because you sent me a video that was called The, the Philosophy of One Piece. Yeah. Um, it was a YouTube video. And they talked a little bit about the relationship between the rulers of the world and the marines who seem to be kind of like a police force and the pirates mm -hmm. which are kind of like our heroes but also kind of not i feel like there's like our heroes are kind of like good pirates or like pirate-ish and then there's like the the evil or like the dangerous pirates yeah yeah i think one of the things that one piece gets at is the idea that good and bad can exist um in a very personal way and it's not a very um structural thing so one of the things that exists in one piece and you find out of again it unfolds slowly uh is that there is a world government um that controls the world um and they have the marines they have two central police forces the marines which are their main police force like you said um they patrol the ocean because most of the world is ocean the marines have the most power uh and then there's the cypher pole which are like CIA, like murderers okay. and stuff. Um, like spies. Like spies, kind of. And they also have control over this organization they've created called the Seven Warlords of the Sea, which are like, um, which are based on a real life thing called privateers, pirates that were sanctioned by the by the government, um, mm. who were allowed to pirate uh, without being caught, um, with the intention of deterring other pirates. Right. So the world government in One Piece has the Seven Warlords of the Sea being their privateers. Um, in hopes to keep balance over the world. And slowly, the more you learn about the story, it becomes more and more clear that the Marines and, by extension, the world government are actually quite corrupt. And there's actually some darkness around them. There's actually something that they're hiding, and no one knows exactly what it is. There is uh, this thing that, in some translations, is called the, the Void Century, and others it's called the 100-Year Void, we're getting into lore, um, <laughs> that there is this stretch of 100 years that has been erased from existence, mm. from history. Um, and it just so happens that at the end of that 100-year void is when the world government came into existence. That's like in, in, the real, in real world history, people think that as well. Really? Yeah, I think there's like a time in the Middle Ages that people feel like, wow. in Europe, of course, where the Dark Ages happened because the rest of the world was just doing fine. But like there's this thing of like, we... Some people think that we skipped, like, I don't know how many years of oh, wow. history. I never knew that. I wouldn't be surprised if Oda based it on that, because he does base things on real-life things a lot. So there's this thing that comes with the world government, and there's this section of the story where a bunch of scholars are trying to research what happened during that 100-year void, and the world government um, committed genocide on that island. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, something happened. They don't want you to know. They might not be as good as they want the world to believe. I see. Um, so it's the idea that justice could be flawed. However, our main source of justice in the show are pirates, who are stereotypically evil. Um, and there are some evil pirates, actually. In fact, most pirates, I would argue, in this series are kind of evil or self-serving. Um, and the, but there are also some marines who are good uh, in the mm. marine force. So it's this idea that there, that good and, and, and moral justice can exist regardless of what side you align yourself with. That m you might have to push forth whether, uh, regardless of those sides. So is it a centrist show? Is this the Joe Biden of, of anime? I don't think it's a centrist. I think it thinks that there is a one right way. Okay. Um, but but it, it seems like there's two. Uh, polarities between like the pirates which seem to be kind of uh more chaotic or more more mm. free for the lack of a better word right totally and then the order of the government and and you think that those things are those the things that have to be taken in moderation you think in one p in the one piece philosophy instead of good and evil it's just more of like order and chaos yeah or or what do you maybe. think maybe maybe it's hard to say what I think because the story's not done yet. And I, I, I do, I think that right now, maybe the best thing is this idea of freedom. But also like the video I sent you said, freedom can be chaotic. So maybe freedom mm -hmm. isn't the right thing. And I don't, 
I, maybe it is a, a battle between order and chaos versus good and evil, like you're saying. So be, earlier today, before this recording, you sent me a video. I did. Um, that is from early One Piece, so uh-huh. episode 86. Uh-huh. And um, you said that it spoke to the themes of, of the so. show. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about this Dr. Hiluluk? Hiluluk, yeah, yeah. Hiluluk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, anyone who's a One Piece fan, I sent Conrado the uh, scene where Dr. Hiluluk uh, kills himself. Uh, while Ave Maria plays in the background. Yeah, uh, I, I think I'll put a clip of it because that was pretty. That's pretty cool. When do you think a person dies? When a bullet from a pistol pierces his heart? No. When he's attacked by an incurable disease? No. When he eats a soup of deadly poisonous mushrooms? No. A man dies when people forget it. <laughs> Even if I should disappear right now, my dream will come true. And when it does, the citizen's sickness of the heart will be cured as well. You're crying. Why, Dalton? Is that true for a country? Yeah, if the will to do it is passed on. Come on! But he has a speech that's pretty famous and that's kind of returned to a lot because it does speak to the theme of One Piece. Uh, This idea of uh, something called inherited will, which is pretty popular in the show. Um, Hmm. He says uh, something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing, when does a person die? Uh, When he's killed or whatever, when he's poisoned? Um, No, a person dies when he's forgotten. Mm, Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, my dreams will come true whether I'm here or not. Your bullets won't kill me. And... uh, and then he kills himself. Um, uh-huh. And that speaks to the theme of uh, the very beginning of One Piece. I mean, w- the very first episode, every episode starts with uh, this speech. Wealth, fame, power. Gold Roger, the king of the pirates, had this and everything else the world had to offer. And his dying words sent countless souls to the sea. If you want my treasure, you can have it. I left everything I own in that place. Um, and he dies. Mm-hmm. Um, he passes on his will... Uh, to the age of piracy. He ignites a new age of piracy. Um, as the story goes on, you begin to learn a little bit more about Gold Roger, whose name is actually Gold D. Roger. Um, uh, and that maybe his treasure has something more to do than just like riches and gold and. Um, mm. Can I make. A, a lot. To, yeah, yeah. Can I make a prediction? Uh, you could probably, yeah. I, is the treasure the friends we made along the way? The treasure could be the friends we made along the way. Uh, and that would be totally fine. Um, but the idea that the, maybe the, the, the treasure means something more for the state mm-hmm. of the world, actually. This idea that will, your dreams, your aspirations, your goals can be passed on um, to somebody else. And you won't die because if they succeed, you succeed and you're still alive. Uh-huh. Um, which could be a good thing or also a bad thing, depending on who's passing on the will. Interesting. And that, and that is something that recurs throughout the show. Very much, very much so, yeah. It's, it's implied heavily that Luffy is carrying on the will of Roger. Ah, okay. Although Luffy doesn't really know it. Right. He knows that he wants to be King of the Pirates, which is what... But he doesn't know why. He, just, he wants to be the most free on the seas that's his goal he wants oh, to be the person with the most freedom okay so and this is a, this is starting to make sense to me so he when he wants his freedom yeah and he's slowly realizing that there's a huge government that is corrupt and is wanting to order and control everything mm. um is there critique of freedom in the show um yes and no not so much yet i think we're gonna get a lot more critique of freedom towards the end of one piece when things are wrapping up are things wrapping up, by the way, anytime soon? Um, again, yes and no. We are we are moving into, I think, uh, once this storyline in the manga ends, we're going to be in the end game of One Piece. However, the end game of One Piece can last a very long time. So you said the, the, the destination is the journey, but there's also all these theories and all these expectations that by the end of the show, you will really understand what's going on. Like... Are you afraid that you will be disappointed? Um, you know, I don't think I could be disappointed um, because um, of all these things. If they have delivered me 25 years of 
great, meaningful material, that's amazing. And even if the show turns to shit, which I hope it doesn't, that's still 25 years of something that I have, uh, which is crazy and great. Uh, However, I do think one of the reasons why Oda is such a good writer uh, is because he plans so far in advance and he's able to plan so far in advance. It's why I think his story is so consistent. I mean, there are some things that are happening now that I look back like at storylines 300 chapters ago with a newfound um, clarity and things from 300 chapters ago that pertain to now in a way that you could only do, I think, if you knew what was going to happen. What how is this happen? possible? This is how could you? How could someone do this? I, so one of the Psychotic. videos I saw <laughs> said that he had been thinking about this since he was a kid, and he yeah. has a lot of like he had this idea for a pirate manga when he was young, and then he's been tooling it. But it's impossible to have like set out to do this thing knowing that you were going to get years and years and millions of chapters to develop it, right? Well, no, yeah, that that you you can't predict success. I think like that. I think. The thing that everyone tosses around is that Oda originally intended for One Piece to last five years in Uh publication. Um, And people say that Oda has known the end of One Piece from the very beginning. He knows exactly where... He he knew, apparently, exactly where he wanted to end up. Um, And it was just connecting the dots that was the fun part. Hmm. So there were definitely some things... So some of the things that he added in as he went... Thought he thought could be fun, but there are certain things that I look back and think you had to have known on some level where your story was going to end up. I mean, he titles the very first chapter Romance Dawn, and there is this like thing in the series now, uh, this, this sun and dawn imagery that like you could only you had to have known that that's where you were going because it's so important, or maybe he's just good at faking it. Hmm. Of taking something that was once a detail and just digging into it and making it more and more important. I think that I think he's good at both of those things. I think he plans really well, and I think he's good at making connections. Right. Um, and I think those two things working together make it hard to tell which is which. Mm-hmm. TV shows and and series uh, of books or whatever, at some point they have to keep bringing new things, and yeah. at some point I feel like usually people go like, okay, this is too much. This is one step too far. You know, like when. In the Flintstones, in the last season, the Great Gazoo comes around, <laughs> and and it's like, what is going on? Like, why is there an alien in the in the Flintstones? You know, and, or things like that. But it seems like this guy is really good at bringing in new things, for the most part, and and making them fit. Like, do you have any theories about well, that? Well, when you create a, a scenario in which anything can happen, in a world in which anything is possible, it's really easy to do those things. I, I think. Guess... And there's also this idea of like. Even in East Blue, like which is supposed to be like the most normal place, there are these people who have. There's Luffy who has this power. Buggy the Clown has some powers. Devil fruits are rare, but they exist. And there's this lore of the Grand Line. The Grand Line being this place of legends where anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Craziness occurs in the Grand Line, and when you set that up, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, that's an interesting point, and I think that might be something that is that people. Um in Japanese animation, manga, might be more comfortable. That I feel like here in America, we're always told, writers and people who create stories, to establish the rules and to follow mm-hmm. the rules. You know, know the rules of your world and follow them, whatever. And I feel like a lot of this stuff, you know, Dragon Ball Z, this, even like the Miyazaki movies, for what I love so much about them when I watch them is that not just that anything can happen, but that I don't, I don't know what to expect. Yeah. And it's kind of like, I just go along with it because I have no reference for what the rules are. And, but I guess some people don't, don't love that so much. I can see that. I mean, and also, I mean, I will say any of the wild things that happened, like even the island in the sky was explained in such a way where I was like, oh yeah, of course there would be an island in the sky. Yeah, that makes sense. There are these <laughs> things and there are these clouds and yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, it, he, he, he backs things up. With his in-world science. He seems to be a one-of-a-kind talent because, you know, George Lucas tried to do that kind of thing with Star Wars and, he and then, you know, people called his bluff all the time. Like, we, we knew that he was not... He was making it up as it went along, yeah. which I think is fine. But, yeah. like, you know, uh, when you're pretending that you're not and they, people can see through it. Does this, what does Oda say about this? About what? About, like, whether or not he has planted or or 
He's making it up. Does he, he give he a lot of interviews? Plan. He doesn't. He's he's actually a very private person. Okay, that's um, what I thought. Like he, what I imagined. He works a lot on One Piece. He well, you got his data, um, but more so than like most mangaka, which are manga writers. Mm-hmm. He 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 works a lot on One Piece. Um, most of his day, he said in interviews that he only sleeps four hours a night. Um, okay, and he's been hospitalized a couple of times, um, uh, which is not cool. So he should rest, but. Um, he doesn't give a lot of interviews. He's he is as humble as the beginnings of One Piece were. He's he's very like, oh, I'm just writing this story. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're not. You're not just writing this story. <laughs> like, what's going on? Like, what's in your head? And he'll tease things. I mean, there are interviews where he teases, like, oh, well, we'll see this happening in a few years, or we'll see this happening next year, and then in a few years, the thing he said ha- that would happen happens. Uh-huh. Um, Okay, so I think this is a pretty good place to start wrapping up on One Piece. Is there anything else that you are dying for people who maybe haven't seen One Piece to know? Yeah. There's one thing I, I didn't get a chance to touch on uh, as much today, but I think is really important about One Piece and kind of apparent, but also, again, kind of humble and covert in the beginning, is its tone. And I think one of the biggest strengths uh, of, of One Piece and of Oda is how deftly he manages tone and the shifting of tones in One Piece because there are times when One Piece is very, very funny, uh, really hilarious and really funny moments and really wacky. And then it gets really serious. And then it gets really down to business and dramatic. And then sometimes it gets downright sad and it makes me cry over the most um, crazy things that you would never expect. Um, I cried over a ship Anyone who knows the show will know that. Um, but, uh, and he does it in a way where it doesn't feel like I get whiplash. And sometimes as a writer, I, 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 I see that in shows where like they're, they're changing tones and I'm like, oh God, what is this show? But for some reason with One Piece, he does it in such a way where I never go, oh my God, what is this show? We're doing this now? I don't know what it is. I don't know if he casts a magic spell. But he does something, and he does it really, really well, that he's able to, to just know when, when to pick up one and put down the other, when to rest the jokes, and when to pick them back up. And I think that's amazing. That's something that I aspire to do. I do think the way I write has been inspired a lot by the way he writes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I, I just think it's, 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 it's great. And he does it with such a sincerity. Do you, can you think of any examples of anyone else who comes close to that channeling of tones for people who might not be familiar? I mean, other than the hit TV series Wormholes, which uh, goes from comedy to drama very uh, seamlessly. Yeah, I, well, another one of my favorite shows is Futurama. Futurama balances different things really well, but I do think One Piece is a lot better. Um, not that Futurama is bad, it just does it in a different way. Futurama is very much a comedy all the way. Uh, yeah. whereas One Piece is an adventure it's a comedy it's a drama it's emotional uh, but Futurama is one of the things that comes to mind immediately that, that shifts tones and it doesn't feel unearned and mm-hmm. doesn't feel like they don't know what they're doing so okay. like, especially some of the more more emotional episodes of Futurama like The Luck of the Friarish or The, light, the Late Philip J. Fry mm-hmm. I love the one with the dog you mentioned sad yeah. dogs before and uh, that's one of my favorite Futurama episodes There is a sad dog in One Piece as well, as I said early on. That's a, another hallmark of One Piece is the sad flashback. <laughs> yes, there are lots of sad flashbacks. I uh, will stand by my assertion that One Piece is one of the greatest stories ever told. Who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? Do you want to tell the kids how they can find you? Yeah, so uh, like I said, my name is Gamal El Sawa. You can find me on Instagram at the Gamal, T-H-E-G-A-M-A-L. And on Twitter, at Gamal Tweets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can subscribe to Podqueens, spelled P-O-D-K-W-E-E-N-S, um, on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And um, for the people who don't know, what, let's talk a little bit about Podqueens. Podqueens is a pop culture podcast uh, with three queer people of color talking about uh, pop culture and shooting the shit. For an hour or and change, uh, we have guests. Sometimes uh, we're very funny. I would I say we skew comedy, and we pick apart a topic, and, or and occasionally we'll talk about Drag Race. Yeah, 
It's a it's a lose hangout vibe and it's very funny. Um, Jelani and Sajan and Gamal are all hilarious. Some recent episodes include talk about triple X pornographic stuff. Ooh. Also, Drag Race recap of what's been going on this season. So, if you're a fan of Drag Race and you're not listening to Pod Queens, you're only getting half that story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Took the words right out of my Ooh, mouth. Suck those words right out. All right. Well, thank you for being on the podcast. Oh, thanks for bringing me to the living room. Yeah, thank you for coming out of your room into the living room and hey, sitting down to record. Anything How for crazy you. to be recording a podcast not over Zoom, huh? I know. Thank God. I want to do them all like this now. <laughs> <laughs> it is much more comfortable. It's a lot more comfortable. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy looking coming out in the eye and talking to him about something. Yeah, we usually just look away from each other yeah. whenever we communicate. In disgust. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Well, so are you going to read One Piece? We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Uh-oh. <laughs> Listen, okay. Uh, we need to take it back in time. When music made us all unite. And it wasn't low blows and video girls. I'm not the only one getting tired. Why is everybody so... And that's our show. Thanks again to Gamal for coming on. If you enjoyed our conversation, please rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps us gain more listeners. Even more importantly, though, why don't you tell someone about it? If you know someone who would enjoy to hear us talk about One Piece or The Lord of the Rings or any other foreign invaders, why not tell them about the show? Word of mouth is, after all, the best way to grow an independent, creative endeavor such as this one. Make sure to come back next week when we'll be talking about underrated British pop diva Charlie XCX. Oh, and you might want to stick around after the music for a little extra talk. So over on Pod Queens, you have a segment called We Are Not Cavemen, We Are Watching Drag Race. I'm not a caveman. Okay, so we both... Actually, we both started watching Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race, that is, around the same time, I think. But I think so. I dare to say that you are a bigger fan. You have watched more. I sure And am. you go harder than I do. Now there are international versions of Drag Race. Do you do you have any thoughts about the like worldwide phenomenon of RuPaul's Drag Race? It's interesting. I, you know, uh, like I said earlier, I'm only 26. I'm a young, young boy. Um, but... It's crazy how looking back, even 10 years, how much the world has changed. I've watched some some movies from like 2007 and read some read some books from 2005. And the shit we said is just crazy. Um, you know? Yeah. Watching some like early How I Met Your Mother episodes will tell you how much we've come along in terms of uh, trans visibility I, I, and understanding. And when did How I Met Your Mother start? Like Around 2005, I think. Really? Yeah. I thought it was later than that. Oh, that's crazy. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, just ridiculous. And to see drag race and drag and queer culture um, be so accepted is great, first of all. But also, I think, speaks to something that's inherent in so many people. This idea that we um, have been suppressing sides of ourselves because of, like, gender norms and gender roles... And in some way, I think drag race, seeing queer people loudly being queer in themselves and overcoming, which is what drag race, it's the competition show. So someone wins, someone overcomes, ideally, um, is fascinating. And I think speaks to us on some level, speaks to like an inner queerness in all of us, which is why I think it's so successful. Hmm. We're, we're caged by our genders. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I want to say you and I both... Our relationship to Drag Race as a show mm-hmm. is a little complicated in that we love watching it and we watch it every week and we get together, uh, the two of us and my wife, Sasha. My wife. <laughs> yeah. And we watch uh, Drag Race and we have a great time. But also as important as watching it is, and what you do in Pod Queens is, is dissect it and mm-hmm. talk about the things that maybe you are not crazy about. Sure. Well, I dissected it because it, it's, it, it is... A great piece of queer culture on TV, but it's also one of the only uh, major queer shows on TV. And I think with that comes a great responsibility. 
Um, I think it also affects life in a way that some other fictional shows don't because it's a reality competition show, right? And yeah. the contestants are real people and they, uh, the way they are treated in the show uh, and the way they are treated outside of the show by the fans can be, it, you know, can be different depending on what happens and it affects those people in a real way. Yeah. Um, now there are different versions of Drag Race, uh, Drag Race UK, Canada's Drag Race, Drag Race Down Under coming soon. It's coming soon, and there's also oh, Thailand, yeah, Th- Thailand and Holland. In Holland, we haven't seen those, the non-English no. speaking ones. Thailand was canceled though because it came out a while ago, right? It came out a while ago. It was just recently canceled for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe it wasn't very successful. I don't know. I I don't know. Do you think there's a difference between the international? I mean, there's there are differences, right? Well, um, well, both Thailand and Holland don't have RuPaul. As a host, so that's one of the major differences. Obviously, they're not speaking English. That is Canada, kind but, of. Well, well, that was the thing. Canada was the first experiment, I think. Can an English, will an English-speaking audience follow a drag race that doesn't have RuPaul? And I think Canada proved that they would. So I think that's important for them to decide moving forward. You know, RuPaul's getting old. I think they're preparing to lay the ground for her eventual exit, so she can sit on her money and live on her ranch and frack the night away. <laughs> <laughs> Do you do we still feel like the drag is US, US is the is the best one? Well, it depends on who you ask. I've never seen Thailand, but I, I've heard they do some fantastic and wild stunts there that uh, go far beyond anything that people in America have done. However, I do think that like American Drag Race is the original. It's the one that sets the rules and sets the tone. Um, and I do think still it's the best. I think for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's a show where they try to do the, all the firsts. I think. Like you will see the 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 experimentation and the in America first. Yeah, especially like you you don't want Drag Race Canada to be the drag race that has the first trans male contestant. No, you want Drag Race America to do that. So that's why they're doing it right now. And Gottmik is a very talented drag queen who I hope wins the season. Um, but I think I think they they still try their best to do everything mm-hmm. first. They don't want to get one up by one of their satellite drag races yeah what makes a good season of, of drag race there's drama, been different issues mama. drama you think that's the most important Dra- i don't think it's the most important actually no i think talent is the most important um and balance balance between the contestants the type of contestants balance between the type of contestants and the types of challenges they're asked mm. um for sure there are certain seasons where you can tell they're like gunning for a certain type of queen to win like season seven or season um five or six maybe were skewed in a more specific direction uh, than others. So I think the best seasons of Drag Race are the ones that are the most balanced. You know, season three had a lot of sewing challenges, so it was only natural that someone who had a lot of sewing talent and could make their own costumes was going to make it the furthest. And who won that season? Raja. Oh, and she's always great. She has incredible looks. Yeah. Um, You know... uh, Season 5 had a lot of performance challenges, which is why Jinx placed high so often. Um, and she ended up winning the season. Jinx is amazing. Jinx is great. These are great drag queens. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, I think a more balanced season could provide a more interesting outcome. I feel like both the UK and Canada's Drag Race, at least in their first season, um, had specific things that didn't totally translate. Um, in the UK, oh. the the lip sync yeah right like that was just a disaster for the first season of the uk drag race they i guess they just don't do that much lip syncing in the uk they sing live mostly oh really yeah lip syncing is not a thing that drag queens do in the uk but i didn't know they did sing live they usually sing live if they sing at all yeah oh okay yeah because the yeah because you know everything builds up to the lip sync for your life in a regular episode of drag race and you you i can't imagine the show without it very that yeah so do we feel we've seen a couple episodes of UK season two? Do we feel like the lip syncing has been better? We've only seen two. One of them was a really slow song in memory. Oh, that's right. So there was not. But much she did to a really her. good job. What's her name? Taste. She did really well with memory. She did pretty good. And what was the first song? Do you remember? First song. I don't remember what the song was, but who was lip sync? Oh. Joe Black went home. Yeah, and it was the what is her name? Dimity Dimity Bimini Bimbom Bimini 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 B
and and she was doing uh, a lot. She like had yeah. pirouettes and she had like you know stunts in a way. I think now they're a little bit more prepared. I think so. Yeah, they know what to expect and they're going into RuPaul's Drag Race and they know they need to lip sync maybe. Hopefully, because otherwise, woo, it was rough. What's the thing in Canada that you think wasn't working as well? The judging. And I think oh, that's sure, the sure, biggest sure, sure. issue with Drag Race America as well, insofar as there is an issue with it. And I think you get at it a little bit with the thing of balance of disagreement with the judges. I have a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and, and it feels particularly annoying when, it, when you can when you feel like the show is trying to push a certain contestant totally. along well, that's reality TV production for you yeah I think it's when you it's it's an art form right like it's when yeah. you when you can see the strengths it's a little annoying they are getting sloppy I will say especially in American Drag Race although in Canada's Drag Race it was wild but it was their first time so I was like maybe I'll let it go because it's your first time doing this um, but like it, it is sloppy producing sometimes like you can see exactly who they want to win and they push them along. And sometimes it's someone who's just not the best, who's not deserving, or who's just someone... It's just uninteresting. And it is also sloppy at the end of the day because the the people who we think have been pushed along, at the end, there's backlash towards them and they end up not winning. Because yeah. those people notice that, that they've been favored. Which is crazy. I mean, they play a lot of games and, you know, we don't have the time to get into it all. But I wonder... For Canada, do you think that's a cultural thing like the UK thing is? The judging? Yeah. I don't know. Canadians are supposed to be Canadian? nice, right? <laughs> They're supposed to be nice people, that's the Canadians, right? But, but, some of these, but, but some of the judging was so cruel. Yeah. Maybe they're not used to becoming critique. Maybe. But anyway, all this to say, keep watching Drag Race. It's a fun show. Yeah, maybe maybe we will watch, we will catch up with Thailand, Drag Race, or, or Holland, and then we'll have another episode. We'll yeah. have you or back on the podcast. Canada's Drag Race. Or Canada's Drag Race. Or UK. It's happening all, now. Um, no. If you want to hear more about Drag Race, definitely listen to Pod Queens, right? For sure.